Closing the books is a manual, air-prone, and time-consuming process. In fact, 82% of accountants find the month-end close to be a negative experience, 78% report having to reopen the books, and 3 out of 4 say they're not confident in their close. Meanwhile, management wants numbers faster than ever, and investor scrutiny on financial reports has only increased. There has to be a better way than email, Excel checklists, and endless status update meetings. Flowcast was built by accountants for accountants to help them close faster and more accurately. It provides a single place to manage the month-end close, aligning people, processes, and documents in one collaborative platform. The bottom line? Teams relying on Flowcast on average close three days faster. Learn more at cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash Flowcast. That's F-L-O-Q-A-S-T. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm Rachel Fish. I'm Byron Patrick. I'm Liz Mason. And Liz, you sound pretty good. We thought you were going to lose your voice. Yeah, but I got it back a little bit. That's good. Well, I think that's just a sign that AICPA Engage is going very well. Right? Yeah, and I'm allergic to Las Vegas. So. Okay. So, well, here we are in Las Vegas. The list grows. Here we are in Las Vegas at AICP Engage, AICPA Engage 2019. How is it going for all of you? Pretty fantastic. This is my first year. You went to a great session yesterday, Liz. I did. So I actually am lucky enough to be one of the Leadership Academy alum. And every year they do a big reunion session and have a guest speaker come in. And this year was uh, P-Link. So Gretchen Paisano and Alexis Robin came in and spoke to us about vulnerability and how to use that to actually help lead in organizations. I've seen that session before. Gretchen's Awesome. Yeah, I mean, she's just phenomenal yeah. in the way that yep. she approaches things and the thought processes that go in, the stories she's able to relate back and pull people out of their comfort zones. That's cool. awesome. You're not good at that at all, Liz. I am <laughs> <laughs> mm, pretty good at pushing uh, people's boundaries. But, um... <laughs> well, uh, speaking of pushing boundaries... That's a terrible transition, <laughs> because the anticipation. I'm terrified. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is that? Like? I'm going to push your boundaries. I'm going to ask you guys a tough question here. Okay. Okay. So we're we're here at AICPA Engage. This is a conference for CPAs, right? Members of the uh, what? American, American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. I, get, I got you. I get confused because there's also the, the Association in- of International yes. Certified No Certified Professional Accountants. Yes. Yeah, so like that just screws me up. Um, so they have the same logo, by the way. Yeah, right. It's very confusing. Uh, Jeff Drew from the Journal of Accountancy posed a question to me that I thought was great that I'd love to pose to you, which is, what do you think the top threats facing the accounting profession are? The accounting profession in total or the CPA designation? Well, that's an interesting question because I would say for something to be a profession, the license is a big part of that. And we consider accounting to be a profession such as you know, the way we have a legal profession, medical profession, right, because of those licenses. So to me, they're kind of wrapped up together. I mean, could we even have an accounting profession if we didn't have certifications and licenses? We absolutely could. Yeah. And that's what's starting to happen, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, I was a bookkeeper and uh, ran a, a practice doing a lot of what accounting firms here are doing in the CAS world, in the client accounting services world. And I only went back and got my CPA later. So I'm, I'm curious to know, is that, um, you know, is the CPA staying relevant? Is it fading? Is it losing relevance? Is it, is there competition from outsiders? Like what's, 
Byron, I want to know how you feel because you you have a tattoo of <laughs> your CPA <laughs> on your arm. Uh, minor vested interest in uh, preserving <laughs> the value of the CPA. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? I I think it's very much still relevant. I um, it, will the future that relevance exist? I I don't know. I I think the general public still looks to and and trusts CPAs very much so, and it's a recognized credential. I do think there is outside market CMA and and such that Mm -hmm. I I believe could be presenting a a relevant challenge to the designation and, and, uh, you know, the license, which we've talked about the challenges. Uh, The license, I think, is actually almost um, making it difficult to actually maintain the CPA for especially organizations that aren't a traditional audit and tax shop. Right. I'm not, if I'm not doing audit, why would I go to the trouble of being a CPA firm? Right. And Liz, are you a CPA firm? Yeah. So High Rock is a registered CPA firm. So when we started in Arizona, there was a law that said if you are doing any kind of accounting services, even if it was only bookkeeping, if you have your CPA designation and own it, you had to register with the Board of Accountancy. So that was an interesting law. So we registered with the Board of Accountancy. Now they've since changed the law in Arizona. So they changed the law to say you don't have to register as a CPA firm, but if you don't, you cannot use the CPA designation. So you you cannot say on your business card that you are a CPA? Uh, Not in conjunction with the name of my firm. Okay. They have to be on separate cards. Yes. <laughs> Got it. That's at least that's the interpretation the Board of Accountancy is giving me. Interesting. So okay. you can't say like Mason CPA and not be a registered CPA firm, which makes sense. Like right. that's a good, um, you know, rule. But as a partner in that firm, I can't purport to be a CPA or provide CPA services. So if I write a proposal and say, as a certified public accountant, I will provide these services, I can't say that in conjunction with a proposal from HIROC if it wasn't registered. So I'm not a CPA. <laughs> you are. You are. You are certified, though. I'm a, well. I'm a certified professional bookkeeper uh, through Canada's IPBC program. Um, but CPA Canada is also really different as well. So here, where there's you know the CPA and CGMA and CMA and all of those things in Canada, there is now only one. It's CPA, and it's managed by CPA Canada. So then you have industry accountants combined with um, practicing accountants of all scales and everything like that. It does seem to be a li- maybe a little less restrictive than like what you're mentioning, Liz. But I feel like I need to tread really carefully. (laughs) Now, the challenge, though, actually, was that I had actually gone through, got my degree waiver, um, was accepted into the accelerated program right as this merger was happening between all the designations. And they and I was adopted into an 18-month program, so basically four years of education in 18 months. And in November, before the program started in January, they said, oh, by the way, we, ha- we don't have that 18-month program anymore. You have to do it in nine months. And there was, like, it was already going to be a huge stretch. And so it was actually the merging of the designations that is why I am not a CPA right now. <laughs> it just It just didn't, it didn't make any sense anymore. I'm sitting there going, huh. okay, I don't want to be a tax firm. Yeah. I don't want to be an audit firm. I just want to mm-hmm. be doing these controllership services. So can I actually be doing those things and not be a CPA? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So... And, that and was my I route. I think the, the one of the big differences there, right, is it's a federal designation, yeah, so, right? Yes. So it is it basically has the state society, so provincially. So it's a federal designation that is rolled out provincially. So but are the rules different 
Only slightly. Only slightly, as opposed to 51 flavors of yes. the United States. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's a little different. Just to put things in perspective, for us to change the CPA exam is impossible because so many states have written it into the law that yep. there are these sections in the exam and that's how you become a CPA. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big challenges. Uh, people have proposed, and I think it would be a great idea, is to have um, some different sections and be able to choose. Maybe I don't need to take audit. And I could take a technology-oriented section instead, but we can't do that because we have to have these four sections. It's almost like we didn't think ahead when we wrote all these these laws. (laughs) How dare you suggest? It is interesting. Um, And it's definitely interesting to see the evolution of the different states and the laws that are happening because we do need something to bring it all together and to actually make this a profession a designatable one instead of having people try to undercut the rules, right? And so states like Arizona pass rules like that because they had a lot of firms that didn't register um, and they didn't want to prosecute all of them, right? But there's no need and they're not signing any audit reports. Why do you need to register? Um, So there are many states following um, or, you know, did it before, but there are some like Texas, which is still super strict. Yeah, can't even call yourself an accountant in Texas if you're not a CPA or Yeah. Yeah, and you can't, you have to have the last names of your um, partners in the name of the firm. Um, And there are very strict rules about who can invest and the advertising that they can do as well. Hmm. So I was at an event just a couple weeks ago, actually, with Mark Kozil, who's the EVP of Firm Services for AICPA. It wasn't at this event. Uh, It was a couple weeks ago. Um, But what he was saying was that over the last eight years, CPA firm hires have increased 4%, but non-CPA firm hires have increased over 10%. So within firms, Mm -hmm. they're hiring more non-CPAs than CPAs are at least at a faster rate. So then when you look at who they're hiring, well, it's these data data analysts and technicians that's really enabling these firms to go to the cloud and to be more tech savvy. And uh, Byron, you were mentioning like the cybersecurity elements and things like that. So we're seeing firms get more techie. And then we've also seen um, maybe a little bit of disruption where we've got tech trying to be accounting (laughs) Add the complete disregard for these CPA rules, you know, that, and then trying to sell it to accountants or trying to leverage accountants to do that. So I feel like we've got this really big imbalance right now happening. Um, so, but I don't know what that means for CPAs. Well, or so firms. the interesting thing is, and I've seen Mark's presentation a million times on this, and it's, it's to AICPA's credit, it is in support for their Pathways Commission and trying to move that needle of what does a future CPA look like? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, they're, they're, I shouldn't even call it a needle. It's a massive boulder that, that they're trying to move. And uh, now you are trying to move a society of, of a lot of the, the large base is, is traditional CPAs who have been in, in the profession for 50 years. I can't even conceive the notion of a data scientist becoming a CPA. So, uh, you know, the AICPA is trying to do something. Um, what it will look like, who knows? But uh, they are acknowledging, and that's exactly what Mark's point is. Like, yeah. the, the makeup of a firm is changing, and the professionals in a firm is changing. So should right. we explore? But then does that mean that data analysts and scientists, they need to become CPAs in order to work for the firm? Or is it just just that saturation that you were talking about earlier, right? Where there's a certain percentage allowable that in order to continue to call yourself a CPA firm, you are allowed to have a certain percentage of non-CPAs. Well, and it's it's funny because there is the theory that maybe we should have them become CPAs, but 
on the other side, I don't think anybody's asked a data scientist if they have any desire of being a CPA. So, <laughs> what do you think the answer would be if they did? <laughs> right. uh, no, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I think their their job prospects are too good at this point <laughs> for them to want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Rachel, you mentioned the disregard of technology people. That for, might be a great segue there. Yeah, Blake. some of the um, uh, regulations or or stuff that CPAs might not do. Uh, there was a Canadian app that was in the news recently getting, what, sued by the SEC? That's right. How do we even do that? Um, how do we sue? <laughs> how do we get sued? Well, so Here's you know, how to get sued by Kik. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Th- well, so the SEC is 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 claiming, what, Kik did an illegal um, public offering? Well, essentially. So the SEC is suing messaging app Kik, which is a Canadian-born app, for raising $100 million through an allegedly illegal token sale in 2017 on the grounds that KIN, the digital token, should have been registered as a security. And Kik is saying, no, it's a, it's a currency. And there's a lot of kind of gray area over what is what. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. They, they were waiting for the right case. The yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, ICOs have been happening for, what, the well, last yeah. four years. Why are, they, getting, why are they going after this Canadian company? Like, are they just picking on them? Like, why did they choose them instead of all these other I ones? I think it's the magnitude of it, the size of it. It was what? It's, it was like a hundred million. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And within the ICO world, like, I, you know, that's, I, I think that's one of the larger ones. And Plus for an established brand that, you know, there's a million of these ICOs for people who want to like, you know, build a frog aquarium or something. And (laughs) nobody really cares about that. It would not be newsworthy if they sued the frog aquarium. Um. I I was a big fan of crypto kitties. I don't know if any of you heard about that. Tradable digital kitty cats. I don't know what happened to that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> is, are crypto do you own any? <laughs> no, I do not. Is that like the evolution of the Tamagotchi? Yeah, or the uh, uh, the Beanie Baby, right? It's the d- virtual Beanie Baby because mm. they were limited. Oh, okay. You know, you could breed them. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I just, I don't own any. I just know about it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be getting a little defensive. Any of you <laughs> purchase, own, have bought or sold cryptocurrency? No. No. Yeah, I have, I have some. Do you dabble in yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I, mostly just to play. Just like I wanted to get familiar with the exchanges. I wasn't going to make a bazillion dollars. That was not my no. goal. But, you know, to to get involved in it, you know, throw a little cash in there and play yeah. around. It, it's it's interesting. It, you know, my 90 bucks, maybe 9 million one day. <laughs> <laughs> sure. right, right? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of big ups and downs, and it's always fun to play in a market, right? So yeah. it's effectively like investing in something that's completely unregulated for... Well, for yeah. now. Yeah. Until, <laughs> until the <laughs> SEC decides to regulate well, it. But how are they going to regulate it, that's right? That's the question. Like, there, there's no possible rest. way to do that <laughs> yeah. um, with the current technology. So, Hey, random random thing I saw on Twitter that I'm, I'm curious to know. So Tom Maxwell from uh, Practice Ignition he asked on Twitter, do you text with your clients? I and saw that, yeah. The responses were really interesting. Like some people are like, no, never. I would never do that. Some are like all the time. Uh, I'm curious to know, Liz, if you text with clients and how and if you do that. Yeah. So when I started Hyrock, I gave everyone my cell phone number because I didn't have a business line yet, right? Um, you know, like baby startup, fine. And uh, people would text me all the freaking time. And I started getting really bad anxiety anytime my phone buzzed because I thought it was a client asking for something that I was like, 
I couldn't handle it. So I ended up changing my phone number and refusing to give clients my cell phone number. So I have four clients that currently have my cell phone number and they are allowed to text me. Nobody else has given it. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, but my team members text with their clients all the time. That was my next um, question. Yeah. So, yeah. like, so totally you don't fine, have a policy or anything? No, there's within. no policy. Okay. It's just a personal preference. I like, you know, separation and mm-hmm. to be able to turn things off without turning off like my whole personal life, right? So, if I turn my phone off, then I'm ignoring all my friends and family as well. So that's interesting because they're texting with your clients. And what about that communication going back and forth? Like, wouldn't you like to be able to track it, see it, archive it? I mean, mm-hmm. if you're if you're a big firm, then you probably have to. Right. Uh, so we actually turned on like the texting ability with our like cloud voice over IP software. Oh, so that's what they yeah. use. So they use that to text with their clients on their phone. So it's all tracked through that. It's like a messaging app, but the client looks like just a normal text message. Oh, and what are you using for that? Ring Central. Ring Central. Not mm-hmm. my favorite, but it's the cheapest. All right. I, I did see Tom's tweet and then the next half of it, because I think that uh, context is important as well. So the yeah. next half of it was my, my dentist just texted me to book my next appointment and I responded and booked immediately, found it effective, uh, would need to be cautious about overstepping. My immediately assumption, immediate assumption was that it was bots, was that that wasn't hmm, somebody yeah. actually sitting and texting. Mm-hmm. And if you can do kind of those autoresponders, that's totally different. If I'm giving my cell phone Mm-hmm. number to a bunch of people that's where well, I totally get and, your anxiety and and there's so I I've had CPA firms ask me how I get dental reminders uh, you know mm-hmm. like why can't I send a tax tax appointment reminder via text so you know there's solutions like acuity scheduling where it'll integrate capture and send those reminders it's super easy to do right I, but you can't have the conversation it's not a dialogue right tool. so right. with those it's tools one way. it's a, a reminder one way, oh, and then you it. can confirm that's like right. you can say yeah. yes or no and that's yeah. it <laughs> yeah so i had an experience like this i was looking at apartments and i was trying to book an appointment so i called the uh, uh leasing office they didn't answer, but the voice message said, if you'd like us to text you, press 1, and we'll coordinate it that way. And I did, and, and I have no idea if this was an AI or a person or a call center, probably a mix, uh, texted me back, and then I was able to book that whole appointment via a text message exchange, which awesome. was way better than trying to get somebody right. to call me back. Yep. And I, I was thinking, like, everybody should have this. It would be fantastic. <laughs> and I also, when I heard that story the first time, I also just thought, it's bots. Like, who yeah. would be sitting there, like, doing a one-on-one thing? Right. I don't know. Well, well there, there's there's services you can pay for now. Mm-hmm. where like that? The, yeah, it's like a, the modern version of the answering service, uh, right? Yep. Yep, and, definitely. And so, I mean, I know everyone at this table travels a lot to conferences. Like what I've noticed this year in particular is many of the little boutique hotels will send you a text message when you yes. get there and say, what can I do to help you? Yes. And so I asked at one of them, I'm like, what technology are you guys using? So they use um, a system that links into their hotel technology. So they sit at their computer and respond to the messages. And so it actually is live people at the front desk and it, you know, saves them the hazard of 25 phone calls coming in at the same time when, you know, people can just text in requests. I, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day actually responded and requested a picture of Steph Curry to be on the, the reception desk when they checked in. <laughs> <laughs> they made it happen. That's weird. <laughs> a little random. But <laughs> Was my, that you? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, <laughs> shh. 
Um, so <laughs> and no, actually, because you'd be requesting a picture of Barry Melanson. Assigned headshot. Only signed. Um, that actually my state farm uh, agent, she I don't know what they use. I, I haven't asked her. Uh, frankly, I don't think she'd know. But um, her, the number I have for her, which to my knowledge is her cell phone, her entire office uses to text me. Like, hey, I need your kids' mm-hmm. report cards for grades. And, you know, I respond and then they'll respond right in there. It's so convenient. Well, bots came up. So let's talk about Let's talk about bots. Here's another question that Jeff from the Journal of Accountancy asked me that I'd love to ask you. What do you see as the two to four best opportunities for CPAs as robots take over lower level tasks? And Byron, <laughs> I'm going to toss that one to you yeah. first. <laughs> Why? Why? You're, the, you're with this yeah. company now called yeah. what is Bot it? Keeper. Bot Keeper. Bot Keeper. Oh, what is yeah. that? Hey, it's uh, <laughs> any listener of the show, I am sure, is well aware. So, so right. So our our uh, solution is automating those lower level tasks, and uh, through you know various platforms of, mm-hmm. of uh, technology and software. And I, I heard a really great term recently. I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with uh, Callum Chase, but he's a futurist. Talks about the singularity and uh, you know some really interesting, thought-provoking stuff. And he shared an article recently where he said the future workforce needs to be upskilled. And I hadn't heard that term, upskilled. Upskilled, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's so great. So if we can take these low-level highly labor-intensive but low-skilled um, tasks, automate them so we can upskill our staff. I, I think it's great. Yes, absolutely. It means a smaller workforce to accomplish more work. So that's the question. What are we going to do, though? Is it advisory? Sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, what's the right answer yeah. to every question in this conference? Yeah. Advisory. Yeah, so disruption. Ah, that makes me so angry, though, because people throw this word out, advisory, as if it's something new. Like, this is not a new concept. This is something that accountants have been doing since forever. Beginning of time. Yeah. I mean, right. if you're an intelligent human looking at numbers, you identify trends. You talk about things that are happening. You help your clients figure out where their expense sucks are and how to get their receivables faster. All of these advisory basic services are, that's not a new concept. And so the way that it's being repackaged and distributed as a, hey guys, like level up to advisory is BS. Well, and the irony is for many years, it was about CPA firms getting away from the accounting and bookkeeping, like get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. And now save your firm. Do client accounting right. services. Well, and the fun part about that is that is because of technology. Yeah. Because at the time, those services were not profitable to right. be doing, at, you know, at that high level. Yes. Um, and coding. It was, yeah, yeah. It was way too much manual labor. But now we actually have tools and like, you know, some companies do robot stuff um, <laughs> <laughs> that help make that, <laughs> that help make that happen and make the timeline so much more feasible. Yeah. It's efficient to do it. Right. Yep. You can't adopt a cast practice without a level of automation. And so mm-hmm. people who are like, I'm going to start to do bookkeeping. Let's have all paper and all desktop. It's like, okay, I can't even help you. Like that's not what yeah. this is about. You, it has to 100% be about technology and automation. 
so that we can get to the good stuff. Like that's just the right getting yes, stuff then done. Then that's the baseline. I'm trying to be careful so you don't have to bleep me. Like um, that's just the getting <laughs> stuff done. Well, I've got it ready. So that, <laughs> so that He's already can, downloaded this right. the sound block. So I was in a session yesterday, and they were talking about basically. So it's a lot of hard work to get you know, even your bookkeeping piece transformed into the cloud accounting or sorry, the client accounting service model. Mm -hmm. Um, But that foundation absolutely has to be laid before you can even start approaching the virtual CFO services and CPAs. I feel like just want to jump to directly to the virtual CFO without effectively creating this strong foundation to actually build that piece of the business off of. And they were saying that basically it's so hard to do the first part that most CPAs actually quit before they ever get to delivering these virtual CFO services. And then they're like, oh, CAS doesn't work. It's broken. It's not profitable, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it's kind of this spinning our wheels thing. What's that? (laughs) Um, So actually, Hyrock last year developed a model called our Nucleus model, where we do all the back office for them, and they could just do virtual CFO. That's it. So you do the back office for other firms? We do the back office for other CFOs. Uh, so all they, up to controller. Type yeah, so we'll do stuff. everything up to yeah. controller for them, and then, right. um, you know, they take it from there. That's do right. The CFO flip services. the switch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. It, it's yeah. Well, and that's why uh, companies like Botkeeper exist too, right? Well, yeah. that's right, and it, it's kind of interesting because I, you know, we've had a lot of interest here at, at Engage, and uh, the number of conversations I've had where people say, "But you can't work with QuickBooks Desktop." Well, I, I, if if this is a, a path you're going to go on, it's about time we consider some cloud solutions. Oh my God, you guys! Did you know you can still buy twelve column paper? Yes. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a staple. What? Yeah. How that blew is this my possible? mind. These so, are like months, but I found that. So one of my coworkers from uh, Armenino, I uh, was catching up with her, and she's now in tax, uh, and she received the closing journal entries for a client from the previous account and they were taking over uh, the the book of business right or the they were taking over the return and um you know i think they were like in new york or something and they said oh it's yeah it's it's not um uh it's not digital you know we'll have to send it to you she's like okay and it comes in a giant envelope it is that big ledger paper (laughs) and that's all the all the year-end entries are on paper and this was for a return like two years ago what the I, I know a CPA who acquired a firm, didn't do much due diligence, apparently, apparently. <laughs> because um, after the acquisition, she uh, requested that they provide an employee list. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it came on a scan piece of 10-column ledger paper, and she <laughs> said, can you put that in Excel for me? And they said, we don't have Excel. This is a CPA firm. And I get frustrated when, like, the Journal of Accountancy is publishing, here's the five tips to the mastering Excel. I'm I'm going to write an article of how to move away from 12-column ledger paper to Excel. Please. 12 12 steps. 12 12 steps to give up your 12-column. Let's do a webinar. Yeah. On CPA. Nobody can ledger to Excel. You need to actually do it in print form and then mail it to them. A self-study. We'll do a DVD. (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe DVD? Nice. Maybe Not fax. VHS? Um, we're, can, yeah, we'll fax can we fax the presentation? Yeah, we can totally yeah. fax the presentation. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but this is where I think we still have a lot of work to do. Like, we may be in a bit of a bubble as kind of the early adopters and whatever, but there are so many laggards. That, there are. That it's just, like, so this honestly is why I think that Cookbooks Live, why Botkeeper, why all of these... Um, what are some of the, anyway, there's some other ones as well. Yeah. Um, why they're going to be successful is because there are still, there are still so many businesses that run on that. There are yeah. still so many businesses that only use Excel. There's still so many of those. Right. Um, that, yeah, there's still a lot of opportunity. So for I everybody. saw a statistic the other day in the United States, there's 30 million small businesses. 10% of them are using cloud accounting technology. Only 10%. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yep. That's crazy. It's a crazy yeah. number. That's it 27 yeah. million companies that are not They're using desktop products, server-based products, Excel, 12 pen and paper, paper. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blows mm-hmm. my mind. Yeah. It's, it's well, a huge opportunity, though. It, sure. it absolutely is. And I, I don't. I won't make up the statistic, but the the map You're survey. You're welcome to if you like. I, I, it, <laughs> so, fact check you. The, but it, you know the map survey, which is done by uh, PCPS every year mm-hmm. and CPA FMA uh, surveys small firms and larger firms uh, on what what are they doing, what are they adopting, what are their services, where are their challenges, and one of the questions is still like, are you paperless? And how many monitors do you have on your desk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 70% of firms may be paperless. Mm-hmm. We, we, 30% of firms is kind of a ton of firms. I yeah, mean, that's a lot. That seems high. I mean, it, I know these are like stats Byron style, but yeah, that well, 70% it, <laughs> seems well, really Well, good. 70% are paperless, so 30% yeah, but are 70, not. But, but paperless includes server-based programs as well. It is not a cloud statistic. It includes other programs. That's right. That it's not even cloud. Correct. You know, it's it's really interesting. So I was actually reading that map survey last week, two weeks ago. I was writing a white paper for Maryland Society of CPAs about how to scale a practice through efficiency and innovation and talking about the statistics and those, like what are the current problems. And so I pulled a lot of statistics from the map survey, which is really interesting to look at how bad it is uh, and, and, you know, the areas of opportunity. So what people are currently doing and how we can fix it. So when are we going to see that blog post? Uh, so it's a white paper and I think it's publishing next month. Awesome. I'll let you know. Looking forward to it. Well, I think Rachel's got to go to a meeting and I'm sure you two uh, have plenty to do. So we have absolutely no lives. There, there. <laughs> <laughs> or I could just leave you guys. Rachel's talking. the only it's cool fine. person on this. Like. We could try to set a record. Nobody <laughs> wants to meet with us. The longest plot accounting episode. <laughs> Uh, so uh, before we go, uh, let's go around the circle here. Rachel, where can people connect with you online? Sure. So I'm on Twitter at Fishbooks. And how about you, Byron? Uh, Twitter, Byron underscore CPA, I think. You okay. should know this. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I totally should. I think it's Byron underscore CPA. Are you, are you not on Twitter all that it's, much? You can choose I, a different I, social. I, I, just, I don't tweet at myself. That's the problem. <laughs> it's like not knowing your own phone number, right? That's true. How about you, Liz? You can find me on Twitter at Lizzie Norma. And I am, as always, at Blake T. Oliver. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining me. Thank and you. Hope to see you again soon. Yes, yeah, you